Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pabedimitria, and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Flight time today, an hour and 35 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, a look at what's behind the passenger experience, but also our version Atlantic imagines space travel. KLM transforms a plane into a rental apartment. Google Street View enters aircrafts. U.S. flight attendants are not happy with Nickel Kidman. The Southeast Asian airline industry growing pains, and Alex reports on his Southwest experience, including a tip on how to take a good picture from a plane window. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. This is Flight 10 to Amsterdam. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hey, good morning from Phoenix, Arizona. And good morning, afternoon for me from Geneva. Actually, it's fun. I mean, you're in Phoenix. That was episode 009. That went actually very well. A lot of people loved it. And I mean, Geneva, that was episode 004, which is our first episode to reach 1,000 listens. So, wow. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, and uh, we were lucky enough to get a, a little bit of a shout out on CNN Travel that pointed to the Geneva episode. So thank you to CNN Travel and hello to all those new listeners that have uh, have discovered us via that article. That was uh, a nice piece of news to wake up to a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's, I, I, will, I want to actually thank uh, Lynn Fisher because she's the one. She was interviewed. She, she did a website about airline codes, uh, sorry, airport codes. And she's the one who actually mentioned us that we were explaining that in episode 004. So thank you so much, Lynn, because that was a great boost on our traffic as well. I was like, what the yeah. hell is going on? <laughs> a CNN, right? By the way, so I said Flight 10. How do you say 010, 010? What's the phraseology in airplane Huh. That's a good. That's a good question. I think that I would say, uh, you know, Virgin Flight Ten. Ten. Yeah. Right. This is what. Yeah. So I. This is why because I, not, it, I didn't there, use the O. I I'm flying back to to England next week on on VS nineteen. So I think by that logic it would be VS ten. In VS fact, 10. It, yeah, ten. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna stick to that. <laughs> that is Flight Ten to Amsterdam. <laughs> uh, uh, Oh, and we had also some very good feedback, as, as we just mentioned for last week. Uh, one of the feedback, actually, that a lot of people don't really know how to contact us. I mean, uh, obviously, there are the obvious channels, which is you can at reply us on Twitter. You can send us as well uh, messages on our Facebook page. I mean, unbeknownst to a lot of people, you can actually send message to a Facebook page. But uh, email exists. And I promise you, I will put a contact form on the website, but I'll do that this week. But the email is hello at layovers. Dot two. Hello at layovers.2. If you want to give us any type of feedback, you just use that and we'll, be, uh, we'll always monitor these, these, this email. And as well, now for the question of the week segment, which we didn't do last week out of uh, lack of time, there's a form uh, where you can put your suggestions, your questions. It's uh, on the FAQ uh, part of the website. So everything is on layovers.2. So please feel free to contact us. And for those who have contacted us, thank you so much for all the feedback. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, from, absolutely. Yeah. And from the ground to space, the first news, we're going actually very far from here. <laughs> yeah, there was a wonderful article 
in Vanity Fair magazine, a long, a long form piece about Virgin Galactic. And it was, it was nice because it, it pressed the pause button on this whole project really and examined it from, from beginning to end and, and looked at the, the, the highs and the lows, some, some very tragic lows. Actually, they lost a, one of the test flights um, late last year due to a pilot error, sadly. Um, but it was a very well-written, thorough, thoughtful piece on, wait, why are we even doing this in the first place? How did it come to be? Examine the kind of evolution from the the, the X-Prize thing that, that Bert Rutan and his amazing team had pioneered in conjunction with Paul Allen and Richard Branson to this burgeoning commercial and, and public space project, which is due to launch shortly – and I, I, I hesitate to say that because, frankly, I've been saying that since I, I was working at Virgin in 2007. It was always, we're going to launch next year. We're going to launch next year. We're going to launch next year. And I think what they're discovering and what this article highlights really fairly is that just because you're successful with a prototype doesn't mean that, mean that it scales easily or quickly or efficiently or cost-effectively. And that that's kind of what Virgin Galactic have learned. But there's no taking away from the fact that they are pioneers in this. No one is doing anything like this. Elon yeah, Musk and his... Yeah, 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 until now, if you wanted to go to space, only a handful of people were able to. You were paying, like, I think, $20 million. <laughs> you would be able to go to the Mir station for a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, we both know Mark Shuttleworth at, at Canonical. He's done that, like, more than 10 years ago. And there's maybe, like, what, a dozen people that have done it? I think uh, the company that, uh, that uh, offers... This uh, this vent this uh, possibility is called space adventure, but that's you know that's a handful of people. I don't have twenty million, and even if I had to, I'm not even sure I want to go to to spend it to go to space. So this is kind of the dream of that Virgin Galactic thing is to allow yeah. like more. Maybe it's not easyJet. I mean, you don't you're not paying fifty bucks to go to space, but it's much more affordable, and you can actually have an experience going to space. So they yeah, are it's two hundred. Yeah. It's two hundred fifty thousand bucks is kind of the top tier. I'm not sure that everybody's paid that much but 700 people have have paid the deposit or and and many of them have paid in full for a spot on on a virgin galactic flight and there's there's debate about the semantics about whether or not they're actually going into space but you will be weightless for a period of time and i, I don't care i think it, the ride itself will be phenomenal and again this article which we'll obviously link to in the show notes does a really good job of describing the experience as well what it will be like and how it's evolved from this sort of fairy tale idea to the actual internal cabin designs. And here's a little nugget that I don't think a lot of people know. The chap that designed the Virgin Atlantic upper class suite and also designed most of the Virgin America physical products, so the inside of the airplane, the check-in desks, is also now responsible for the consumer product at Virgin Galactic. He's a guy oh, called wow. Adam Wells, and he is... Uh, he's a friend of mine, and he's he's a genius. Um, somebody once described him as as the Johnny Ive of Virgin Virgin, but he <laughs> recoiled in a horror at the you know that that type of comparison. But you know, Adam, I I don't know if it's too far from the truth. Oh, that's awesome! I had no clue. I mean, I, I, the, the, the the spaceships, because for lack of a better term, because there are, I don't know if there are planes or spaceships. Uh, it's not a lot of people. It's like six passengers plus the crew, right? Yes, I think. Am. Yeah, so I mean, I don't have two hundred fifty to put. I mean, you know, that would put a huge, a huge hole in my budget. But obviously, this is something I would 
or evidently love to do once. And maybe with the, you know, once you succeed, maybe if it's successful with a lot, with a falling price of technology and everything, maybe it's going to be even less at some point. We don't know. But the, 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 the scathing part, the scathing part of that article is obviously that, you know, there was this accident that happened a few months ago now. Uh, and a lot of people were blaming because so there was one of the test flights uh, and the the, the, the the spaceship, sorry to use that term again, cr- uh, crashed. And uh, there was a lot of speculation if the problem was you because of the type of fuel or the rocket itself to the engine. And apparently, and I had no clue because I hadn't followed up that story, it, it was a human error, right? Sadly, it was. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a human error. One of the pilots had deployed a, f- a, a, a critical piece of the... Um, Kind of the, the aerodynamic uh, component of the aircraft, which was very important to be deploy- deployed later in the flight to start this kind of arc back to back to Earth. But he deployed it early in a high speed part of the flight, and it was it was catastrophic. The whole the whole spacecraft just disintegrated. Um, it, it was it was awful. Very very sad. And we might actually never know what happened because there was no reason why he would actually pull that lever at that exact time. It was way too early. And, you know, of course, everything crashed. And so I, I, it's, uh, I, I read, uh, so the, uh, a friend of mine, she's called Victoria Soyanova. She sent me an article, uh, I think it was yesterday or today, uh, that is in uh, um, a website called uh, Nautilus. Uh, I'll put the link because the link is, is, is a bit bizarre, the name of the website. But it was very interesting because it was talking about all these human errors we've been having in the airline industry. So from obviously uh, with German wings was not covered. Is it an error or a suicide? We'll talk a little bit about this a bit later. But we have, had, we have to come to a realization that a lot of the crashes that have happened, at least in the past 10 years, have involved some kind of human error. Uh, and, uh, and this article has a very interesting take because it says that our brain might not be completely fully uh, uh, capable of handling uh, because we are still uh, hardwired to react to danger in terms of like an animal will attack us, like, you know, like the, in our prehistory. And this is how suddenly, you know, we, it's called cognitive funnel, where suddenly when you have a danger in front of you, all your senses focus on that single danger to react and to actually do something. And they say, this very interesting article, they say that in, in the flight deck, for instance, there are so many things that you have to do that maybe our brain is too narrow focused at that moment in time to be able to multitask. Not for everyone. And it doesn't say that, you know, some people are better or worse. It just said that maybe our brain is just not adaptive enough to be able to uh, react to all the little uh, signals that we have to, I mean, I'm not a, p- a pilot, but a pilot has to cater at a moment in time. And it takes two examples. One was, you remember that flight that crashed in um, Southeast Asia where there was a dashboard video. We saw it. So oh, the, right, in Taiwan, yeah. In Taiwan. And a guy, actually, a pilot, had actually uh, t- shut off the wrong engine. So there was one engine that just had failed. And instead of, 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 of uh, cutting that engine off, he cut the other one. And then it enters into that cognitive funnel. It turns into more and more panic. That's uh, the analysis and how he re- I still reacted. He was still able not to crash the plane over uh, over buildings, but in the nearby waters. And the other example is obviously the very uh, very uh, famous example of the of the Hudson. You know, the ma- miracle of the Hudson, where that uh, that uh, captain was able in that instance to actually redirect the plane with a f- complete failure and to land it on water uh, near New yeah. York. Uh, it's inter- interesting. You know, it's, uh, uh, Go ahead. What's weird, um, 
another nugget. Um, I was in New York, two blocks away from the Hudson, when that oh, plane wow. went into the Hudson, and I, I had been, <laughs> I had had food poisoning, so I was like in bed. But Twitter lit up, of course, being Twitter being so fast to to broadcast these types of things. And I went down and I saw with my own eyes this plane land sitting on the Hudson River with all of the all of the passengers standing on the wings. It was the most surreal thing I think I've ever witnessed. But you know, it's it's a good point, and I think it's why over the last probably two decades, airlines have focused and airline governing bodies have focused so heavily on cockpit resource management, which is their collective term for how do we manage all of those parallel functions that are going on? How, you know, what is it okay for technology to manage? What needs human intervention? And then how do you balance that, that hierarchy? And then how do you balance the hierarchy in the cockpit itself? It's, it's fascinating. I don't think that, that, We've scratched the surface of it, but yeah. the you know the the psychiatry of it is and the the physiological physiological side of it is 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 so interesting. And I hope um, you know as we kind of understand this better, we are able to reduce these types of accidents in the future. Actually, what you you just mentioned something that just triggered another memory. It's true that the also the the interface that the human with technology was a big also debate after the uh, the Air France crash uh, from Rio to Paris. Uh, because they were like, uh, some people said maybe the pilots didn't understand what was happening. They were trying to pull levers. And since everything was heavily computerized, there was no direct physical evidence of what they were doing. Is that the, I mean, besides the, 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 the sadness of that crash, it's interesting to see maybe, like you said, learning at what level should we hand over you know, stuff to a computer? At what point do you still have to have some kind of physical feedback to understand what's happening around you? It's yeah, it's it's very interesting, and I admire people that uh, are in this field or even peripherally involved, and I think it's fascinating. Uh, since we mentioned uh, the, the crash in Taiwan, there was also a few uh, articles in the past two weeks that were talking about the situation in Southeast Asia. So Southeast Asia has, has seen a huge boom in uh, the airline industry. There's been this one of the mo- most growing markets in the world. There are more and more airlines, more and more people are traveling. Of course, these emerging markets are getting richer. People are starting to you know, go around and visit and do some tourism. And it has reached some kind of a plateau, and not a term of plateau in terms of growth, but a plateau in terms of there have been more and more uh, issues with, you know, airline safety, uh, airline, airline maintenance, aircraft maintenance, uh, some of the regulatory bodies that were not really. And the la- latest example is the, the Thai authorities. Uh, so the I- ICIO has, has basically said that the Thai authorities, the, the bureau that over, oversees the entire safety for, uh, for the Thai uh, airline industry might not be, you know, good enough and what that has triggered like some many other countries around itself especially japan has started restricting thai airlines to actually fly to them that's pretty scathing yeah it is scathing so yeah south korea and japan issued bans on all new charter and scheduled flight services from thailand into their airspace on the back of that ical report saying that the infrastructure and oversight has not scaled with the growth of service in Thailand. And as a result, there are significant gaps in the kind of the safety yeah. process, which is, which is frightening in a way. Um, and as a result today, they, uh, Thailand announced that they've created two new agencies to oversee safety in the country uh, on the back of these bans, whether or not that actually does anything or just creates two new levels of bureaucracy, bureaucracy yeah. uh, is, yeah, is, is, is remains to be seen. But 
um, since tourism is such a huge part of Thailand's economy, they have no choice but to react and improve this because if, you know, if other countries could follow Thailand, uh, pardon me, um, Korea yeah, and, uh, and Japan. Yeah, yeah. Japan, were, Japan were the first one. They were very quick. And at first, Thailand was like, what, what are you guys doing? And then others actually followed through. And they did some, before the news you just announced, they had did, done some announcements to say, oh, we got to get better at it. But the ISAO just said, no, no, you know what? That's not going to be good enough. And that's, like you said, tourism is one of the main industries and that's very difficult for them. Actually, one of the ministers went uh, live saying that it will really hurt the tourism sector in the country if they don't find a solution quickly. And it's not the only country. I mean, there are also rumors that uh, Indonesia and other countries have been looked after, in, like, are they actually on par with what is supposed to be in terms of safety? So uh, let's not, it's not fear mongering. Let's not, you know, say, oh, you should not travel to Thailand because your plane will crash. No, That's not what we're saying. But there is still a, a little bit of a concern. Uh, by the way, Talking still about Southeast Asia, you, you, have you seen that piece of news with the, um, you know, that plane, the MH370 that we still can find? And there have been uh, some rumor, maybe, I don't know if it's a rumor, but maybe it's, it's, some guys in the Maldives might have seen it just before it crashed, right? It's amazing. Yeah, there was this article that came out about a week ago saying that there is a fairly large and growing number of people in the Maldives, which are an island group um, off the coast of India really in the middle of nowhere that have yeah. said we all saw the same thing which was a plane that was very very low and very loud that looked a lot like the plane you guys are, are looking for over here which is thousands of miles away from where they're actually searching for it and they're they're venting their frustration a little bit more publicly now because they've been saying this basically since day one and everyone sort of said no 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 no, no not possible because we have this data that suggests otherwise and they're like look you have basically you know, no data. You're you're going on on data that's so so inaccurate that you still haven't found this airplane, and yet we're all saying the same thing that we have seen it. Just humorous, and <laughs> I can imagine they're a bit frustrated if they really did see what they claim yeah. to see. And at the same time, it's becoming as well a problem for the governments that are that are overseeing this entire rescue operation. Still going a rescue, even though there's almost obviously no hope for it to find anyone. Is that it costs a lot of money. I yeah. mean, the, the, the Australian authorities are, uh, apparently, there are rumors that they are starting to be a bit tired of having to pay for an entire operation for finding a plane that could be, you know, could take years to find. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not easy. Still talking about, uh, uh, sadly, and we're not going to do the entire show about air disasters, yeah. but obviously the, the follow-up of the story last week, which was a German wing crash, so... Uh, not a lot of more news has happened, and we're not going to go too much into it today. But there was uh, another follow-up on the, the state, uh, the mental state. And again, we, do, we, we use these terms with a lot of caution. Uh, apparently, uh, there has been emails exchanged where uh, the co-pilot, apparently responsible for the crash, had warned Lufthansa of his mental disabilities in the past. Those where have not been acted upon. In the same breath, uh, there's been now also rumors that the, the EU is looking at, has, has been looking into Germany's ability to actually oversee uh, its pilots. And they say, apparently, again, that the, the findings are that Germany uh, is lacking, is very lax. That's the term it's been used, very lax in its oversight of pilots. That's that's not very good news because you know you tend to uh, you know you, when you say Germany, you usually do not put Germany in the term lax in the same sentence, right? 
No, you don't. I mean, they've been a, a, a pioneer and a leader and a benchmark for all things aviation for decade after decade after decade. So it's that was quite a, a, a bold assertion. And I don't know if it's if it's finger pointing, if it's trying to isolate the, the broader European aviation community from from any type of blame, but it's not going to help the situation, surely. No, it's not. It's not. And beyond I, that, I mean, look at Germany's avi- safety record to date. It's very, yeah, very yeah, solid. Yeah. It's very solid. This is why I, I mean, you know, obviously this is this type of investigation. I'm sure happens a lot. There, are all you know, these these the EU bodies that oversee all these uh, safety regulations in all the EU countries always find you know the odd case where something was wrong we never led to an accident so which is why we don't know but obviously since those findings were almost as in a very timely manner happened just before the crash obviously then everybody focuses on on those ones they still say apparently the findings found 10 uh uh 10 occurrences of a lack of oversight uh, due to something linked to mental issues 10 it's still a lot but we don't know the actual report because all of this is obviously you know source anonymous sources talking because none of this is is public uh there were also some crazy stories i don't know if you read that i just want to mention it because a lot of people talked about it online so some expert and i'm i don't know that person so i'm not going to criticize him here but some experts said no the flight actually didn't crash the flight was hacked and uh, somebody actually flew the airplane to the mountain. I don't know if you could g- g- give any credence to that. The reason I wanted to mention that if there's a lot of stuff, and I know Dan Hamilton said it last week, if a lot of people are so-called experts go online, but there's also a lot of, because we're still in the emotional state of this crash, you can read a lot of stories that make absolutely no sense. One of which, I don't know if, you, if you've seen that last week, there was supposedly a rumored video that was found on a cell, on a mobile phone that was filmed, you know, during the crash. And all the big outlets started running that video and it just, the the, the actuality, the, 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 the it was not the true, it was not a recording that happened during that crash. It was some old video that some guy on YouTube had added some shaky effects and then labeled it as something that would have happened during and you see all the, even like the very big newspapers starting running it like oh we found a video of some you know passenger filming the crash of german wing so word Jeez. of ca- word of caution you know uh, do not read everything do not take everything for granted there's an investigation going on and i'm sure we will learn the entire uh the entire reason behind all that happened uh, and you've seen that uh, Lufthansa has actually put uh, a lot of money aside for a potential lawsuit, right? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's that's the world that we live in. Yeah, yeah. I think it's three hundred million dollars already have been put aside uh, uh, by insurance, the insurance of uh, German Wings. Another piece of news related this, we switch continent, we're going to the US. Um, there's this airline called Allegiant. Have you seen the letter they wrote to passengers? This open letter. It's yeah. Let, well, so let, let's be clear who wrote it. It's the it's the Allegiant Pilots Union wrote this open letter to passengers. That is unbelievable. And I think I'm just, you know, just going to quote before you react. I'm yeah, just going to quote. Because yeah, really, do, honestly, is, if you've if you've had problems with Allegiant, you are not alone. Uh, the fleet is plagued by persistent mechanical problems due to poor equipment and a company's unwillingness to invest in its operations or its workforce. I mean, 
you're basically telling passengers that, hey, you know what, our airplane, our aircraft suck and they will crash on you or something. I mean, it's just not okay. It's not. It's it's unprofessional. It's extraordinary. It's it is the definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face, and and biting the hand that feeds you at the same time while you're cutting your own nose off. It is an extraordinary letter, and we'll post the link to the whole thing. In and the apparently, show notes. The, the the worst part of it, because you were right to mention that it was a union. The worst part of it is that a lot of the chatters say that they wrote that letter because they're in the middle of a, a salary negotiation. Yeah, it's it's leverage. It's absolutely yeah. Leverage. But I mean, There's, you don't do leverage. Own... I mean, I used to be a lobbyist, and I used to do actually salary negotiation with unions. So I, I not in the airline industry, but you don't do that kind of stuff because you just piss off one of the party. I mean, if, if I'm on, on, the, on board of Allegiant and I read this letter about, oh, you know what? We really suck at everything on this airline. I'm like, why do I want to give you a raise? Of, I mean, this is just not happening. I don't, I don't It's extraordinary. It. I mean, it is, that, is a, that is a desperate tactic for a side that is clearly losing the negotiations. And, you know, Allegiant are a, a plucky little airline that have, managed to survive in an unbelievably competitive economy by linking smaller regional airports to more uh, leisure destinations. Like they have a big presence in Las Vegas. They do have older airplanes, but they're going through a, a fleet refresh at the moment. And I like them. Any, any little startup airline that's doing well, I, and they're not even a startup. They've been around for years. But this is just insane. This, this yeah. could do them irreparable damage and put all of those pilots out of a job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, talking about which one of the least unionized uh, of the big airlines in the in the U.S. is uh, is Delta. Delta, yeah. And we just uh, learned that uh, the flight attendants have dropped their plans to unionize. So, uh, and I'm not by de- um, let's be clear. I'm not by definition anti-union. I'm just saying that in this case they have dropped it. But since we're talking about flight attendant airlines, uh, unions, sorry, the, you have a story that just links to what you used to say about the Fair Skies organization. So basically that anti-Gulf airline thing, which is completely insane. Go ahead. Yeah. So on the back of all of the discussions that we've had in every single show since we started, <laughs> every single one, three, yes. I mean, ME3 versus the big American airlines. Uh, the, we mentioned, I don't think it was last episode, but the episode before that Nicole Kibben was now the face of, of Etihad and doing this, this fantastic global campaign about their product. And she does a very good job and it's a, it's a very good campaign. The American airlines flight attendants union wrote an open letter to her to Nicole Kidman saying, you should stop representing this airline because, and I quote, the United Arab Emirates and their airlines are well known in our industry for their discriminatory labor practices and deplorable treatment of female employees. Therefore, we must respectfully ask that you, as a leading advocate for women around the globe, not lend your voice, your image, and your good name to Etihad Airways, the second largest airline in the UAE. (laughs) And this, again, backfired massively. Uh, The Etihad came out and said, have you seen where and how we, we treat our, our employees and not just our flight attendants? And they posted these pictures of this huge, amazing kind of villa apartment complex where, where pilots and flight attendants uh, can stay if they want to. They, they talked about all the benefits they get, the pay and everything like that. And more importantly, there were comments from flight attendants saying um, this lady, the president of the Association for Professional Flight Attendants, does not represent us. She only represents herself. Um, 
the comments and all of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the social media have been like, this is insane. What are you doing? You're just, you're just further alienating yourself and showing that you can't compete on product. It, again, another union cutting off their nose despite their face. It's extraordinary. And it's open letter season, I guess, <clears throat> for unions, because all these are open letters. <laughs> it's, it's uh, uh, it, actually, we mentioned, I think it also was last week that the flight, some flight attendance unions have just joined that Fair Skies thing. So I guess, you know, uh, some of these unions maybe are not really representative because you don't need to have like a thousand, you know, uh, members to be a union. You could have five. I'm not saying that's the case here, by the way, but uh, because again, I used to be a lobbyist. I know how it works. And I guess, you know, this is just part part of these lobbying eff efforts to actually, you know, uh, the, you know, find any type of grudge against the ME3 and, and attack on them. By the way, you said the, the, the answer from Etihad was, uh, like you said, it was very smart. And they did a jab on unions because they said, uh, we have industry-leading training and performance standards for our pilots and crew, many of whom have come from legacy unionized airlines in the U.S. and European Union. <laughs> yeah, it's basically and, turned into a recruiting yeah. ad. <laughs> and then, yeah, they say exactly. We're, we have in, they've been named Employer of the Year in 2014, uh, the Middle East HR Awards, etc. But one, they are recognized as one of the global 100 uh, most in-demand employers on LinkedIn. So it proves, you know, remember we also said about Emirates, they had 25,000 applications a month. People are clearly, you know, they, they must be doing something right. And at the end of that same letter answer, they said, we are not bound by seniority, but rather place our pilots based on merits and performance. United captains became Etihad captains. This could have not happened in a unionized airline. So basically, they really took it a jab. Like, you know what? People want to come working with us, you know, and we, that works. And they're happy this, here. It, it's so funny in the context of that comment is that when... When United furloughed a bunch of their pilots, a load of them went over to Etihad. And the last line in that in that bit is, when United ended its furlough, the pilots were free to return to their former employer if they so desired, right. which they're not going to do because they're, they're going to be a huge tax-free salary and all <laughs> exactly. of the benefits contained therein. It's a, it is a, a, a wonderfully measured but brilliantly strategic reply to a crazy letter. Exactly. So enough with the unions for today. Uh, let's go to a more lighter news. Uh, that was completely crazy. The, a foam story. So I mean, that this was is unbelievable. This is, yeah. I can't even. I, I thought this was a joke at first, but it's not. So Virgin Atlantic in, inaugurated a, uh, a route from Manchester in England to Atlanta. But I think part of, on the back of their their Delta arrangements. Anyway, they. Uh, traditionally, when an airline starts a new route, especially when they're doing it from a new airport, they inaugurate it with a, a water cannon salute where two airport fire trucks create an arc of water using their big fire hoses and the plane taxis underneath it. It's all rather spectacular and quite nice. And they had arranged to do that for this very first flight from Manchester to Atlanta, except someone in the fire truck pressed the wrong button and instead of dousing the airplane in water they doused it in in fire retardant foam which was then ingested into the engines and ruined them oh my god so the plane had to be shut down inspected from tip to tail the plane the flight was initially delayed for 5 hours and then for 24 hours uh, and so an inauspicious start to a route <laughs> marred by <laughs> pressing the wrong button in a fire truck. Oh, my God. I think it's the first time that I've heard anything like this happening. Oh, wow. 
uh, that 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 guy who pressed the wrong button is not really proud today. I'm sure. Oh, no, well. I I feel bad for Virgin, but yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Uh, just we wanted to do uh, before we move on to the innovation part of of the show. I wanted to do a shout out. We wanted to do a shout out to uh, Peter Johnson. He's written us a very nice comment on uh, Facebook messages. He's the one who actually couldn't find our email, which is why we started the show by actually telling that it, our email is hello at layovers two. That was very nice from you, and uh, he he actually has a podcast on aviation as well. Uh, we here tend to talk more about civil avi aviation, uh, Alex and I, because this is something we both know and love. But there are like many, many, many other podcasts. Uh, we'll, some from time to time, we'll, we'll mention those that we actually love. And I, I wasn't aware of this one. It's called Aviation Extended. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's a very, very good uh, podcast. Uh, I just heard one episode yesterday. After he sent me the comment. Uh, you can find um, the the Twitter is at Aviation Extended. So that's without the E to Extended. So just Extended. And Peter uh, is on Twitter as well, uh, Nasco Thornet. But I'll put all these links on the show notes. But thank you, Peter. Thank we you, really Peter. do appreciate Thanks that. A lot. Innovation news of the week. Uh, since we're talking Amsterdam, uh, this is not a very new story because the story was born before the inception of our podcast here. <laughs> but I still wanted to mention it. Uh, it was uh, KLM, which is very, um, they do a lot of good stuff, innovating stuff for consumers. They try yeah, a lot yeah. of, we, we mentioned a few in, in a past episode and we'll keep mentioning them. They had done a, it was more of a campaign. They had basically done a, a you could rent on Airbnb uh, a, a plane retrofitted like as an apartment. Have you seen the pictures, Alex? Yeah, it looks fantastic. And what a great idea as well. The The site is, is airbnb.klm.com. And I think there are so many people of our persuasion that would pay, pay a lot of money to do this because it's <laughs> it's so cool. They've done a really, really good job of it. I mean, it's 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 pretty sparse interior but it's but it but that's a good thing because it still feels like an airplane cabin it's not just a shell that you know once was an airplane it's still very obviously the inside of an airplane a plane uh, they they say it, it would be only retrofitted so this is a plane that's pretty old but they said it will be retrofitted and then maybe put back into service i don't know if i believe that because you know they kind of removed everything all the seats and everything to put that i'll put the link the the link uh, because the, the pictures are pretty cool so it's too sadly it's the campaign is over so you cannot this is what i said i started by saying it's an old piece of news you cannot rent that room anymore uh it there was a uh, huge number of people would try to do it so they had to go through a competition model because otherwise it was like way not enough uh, room for everybody who wanted to to have this i would have if i had known back then i would have clearly tried to get it because honestly, yeah come on. and I, I would be amazed if they put it back into service because it's it i thought they were retiring all of their uh their, yeah. their mcdonald douglas airplanes but and the 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 site has photos of documenting how they did it, which is yes, which is yes, just exactly, as yeah, the, yeah, the behind the scenes. And I'm just gonna read the rules because you know if you ever if you have ever uh, taken a flat or a room on Airbnb, there's always rules which are decided by the host. And the rules yeah. here are: the uh, first rule is no flying. <laughs> I love <Right>. that one. <laughs> uh, second one: uh, don't use inflatable emergency slide. Uh, smoking is not allowed when the no smoking sign is on. No marshmallow, no marshmallow roasting with jet engines. Uh, please water our plants and feed our fish. 
uh, <laughs> and then uh, please treat our plane like you treat your own plane. I mean, I love those rules. <laughs> Very tongue in cheek. I love it. Uh, fantastic. But it's uh, there was a, an article actually uh, on TechCrunch, which is a, a tech blog, a few weeks ago as well, which was basically talking about how Airbnb and all these other the sharing economy, that's a term a lot of people use, are impending travel and the way we travel. It's true that here it was just, you know, KLM, but it was more a campaign, obviously, for one shot. And it was fun. It gave a lot of good um, um, you know, appreciation for the brand. But Airbnb is actually transforming the travel industry. And I think yeah. the, 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 good, the interesting tid, tidbit I read in this article is that not only it changes for people like you and me. I mean, I'm sure you've done Airbnbs in the past, Alex. But it's yeah. starting to change the corporate industry. You know, there's a huge, huge corporate travel. You know, the Amex, uh, the Carl, Carl, Carlson, etc., which are basically corporate travel. So if you work in a corporation, you book a flight, you book through them. You book a hotel, you book through them. And for the moment, for uh, legacy reasons, they're not allowed to uh, basically put you in an Airbnb. That's starting to change, actually. There's some companies are starting to open that for even business travelers. And that's really changing travel, I believe. Yeah, does. the whole on-demand thing. And there's been this trending article about Uber as well how that's kind of taking over corporate uh, spending accounts because it just it's easier to track, it's easier to manage, and it just works better, which I guess is how innovation works. You know, you're solving a problem by doing something better than the, than the incumbent industry has done in the past. Which is something the queen has understood, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, just quickly, the queen of England um, signed a, a, a law which basically kind of reinforces what what's kind of already implied in, in UK law that, that Airbnb is is okay and, and things like that are okay. But it was rather nice that the Queen signed this into law and people were asking, so which bit of Buckingham Palace are you going to put on Airbnb first? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if someone, speaking of which, if someone from the PR team on <clears throat> over there is, is, uh, is smart, they'll find a way to do something like that. Maybe not Buckingham yes. Palace, but one of the other <laughs> yes, palaces. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, moving on from country, from the Queen uh, to Austria, uh, a new library. Yeah, they've they've come out with this and slightly different brand positioning. It is boring, um, but that's okay. It's nothing like, wow, oh my gosh, this is amazing, like the Iceland Bear Aurora Borealis livery or anything like that. But one of the weird things that, that they chose to do was add the word my to the airline name on the on the side of every single airplane. So it's not just Austrian, it's it's my Austrian. And they claim it, it's to quote signal to customers that we want to more effectively respond to their individual product wishes in the future than we have in the past, which is insane to me. <laughs> First of all, if you have to actually say it overtly, that means you're not doing it right. Uh, I think that, that you should glean that from the entire experience that they listen and they, the experience is personalized. If you have to say it's an individual experience to every single person that flies, then then you're not doing it right. But just the, the rationale is weird that they, yeah. you know, ha have not done a good job. And, and they also are trying to cram it into two holes by saying that it's a reflection also of employees as well, that it's their airline. It can't be, it can't be both through a single word. Uh, in my opinion, <laughs> it's, it's very, very strange. That's a brand specialist talking there. Uh, I agree. I mean, it's not it's not an offensive livery. It's fine, but it's just that rationale just kind of tore the whole thing for me. They also, they also, uh, it's been a while I haven't flown uh, Austrian. They also changed the interior. Uh, but what for me, because maybe I've never done it, they also so uh, 
there's Austrian. The other, the only, uh, the other airline in in Austria is called Taralian. Uh, it's a smaller airline. It's more, you know, a regional airline, if you want. Have you ever flown them? I've not flown neither Tyrolean or Austrian. So Tyrolean, because so now they basically the two the two the two ones will be more similar to each other. The interior will be very similar. The reason I mentioned Tyrolean is because I've flown them. And man, I mean, I'll send you a picture of the inside. So basically, the carpet is green like grass. The 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 over the, the, the bins and the curtains are in some kind of light blue. So you know that's the sky. No way. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And the seats are. I, I mean, I cannot describe the color between something like a dark moss and some mite, mite green. I mean, this is the first time I enter into that flight and I was like, what is going on here? Is it like a one, you know, like some airlines do, like we decorate a single aircraft into something special. No, it was every single aircraft effect. Wow. So honestly, for that, I'm happy that they're going away. I'm sorry, Tyrolean. I mean, I, I understand it was probably much funny to like, you know, the, the airline of the mountain and for nature and everything, but yeah. it, just didn't, it just didn't work for me at all. So I'm happy going for something more, you know, minimal because that's just going to be good enough for me. <laughs> anyway, I'll, put, I'll try to find a picture. I'll put it on the show notes because it's really something to be seen. Sadly, not to exper be experienced anymore. I think they're changing the library on, on April 1st. Uh, Bummer. Coming back to the UK, uh, BA was hacked. <laughs> yeah, this this story didn't get nearly as much coverage as I thought it would. Apparently, and BA have confirmed this, ten, oh, tens of thousands, I think is the number that they've admitted to, of BA frequent flyers have had their accounts, quote unquote, compromised. Uh, what that means, they didn't go into, except that no personal information had been viewed or stolen and they'd frozen the accounts. But it, it meant someone that was able to access the system and not only not only view it, which they actually say that individual data wasn't viewed, but but tens of thousands of people were were touched. I mean, the database records for them were modified and, or, or or touched in some way or, or the other. They then froze the, all of those accounts that were effective and that affected. And that's where it gets interesting, because if you're if you're a frequent flyer. And you're like, okay, I need to redeem some miles. And your <laughs> account is frozen. You're like, what the hell's going on? Exactly. You call out BA and say, hey, I need to access my miles. And I'm like, yeah, so about that. <laughs> There's been an incident. And you hear, you know, and I don't care what anybody says. When, when they say, oh, no, personal information has been compromised, blah, 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 blah. When you get that email from a company that says there's been an issue and you're affected of this of this type, it's alarming, yes. and it's a lot of work. And again, I'm still really surprised that something as sensitive as as flight information and habits and and also future bookings could possibly have been accessed in this in this hack, but. The term, the, 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 the term compromise is always very, you never know exactly what it means. As somebody downloaded all the information, actually meddled with your accounts. Uh, you know, there was, a, if you remember in, in January, there was already American and United. The, both their, their frequent flyer uh, systems were hacked as well. Maybe not as, it was a, maybe less accounts were, were stolen or information off the account. So again, we never, we're never sure about exactly what happens. What is it just because, you know, I have my credit card number in there, for instance, right? Yes, that's uh, a good in point. Some, in some of those in some of those accounts, a bit because, you know, when I book, I just want to press one button and just, you know, it goes and it's done. I don't want to have to deal with it, reboot it every time. But you, you start to be a bit, uh, I think, like you said, there should be a better 
most, I, I guess, you know, they're not considered as secure as banks, obviously, because it's not money, it's just smiles. But the more this will happen, the more we will start having a pushback from the public. I'm saying, you got, you know, guys, I mean, I have a lot of information that I, I consider private in there. And it's not only about not being able to use it when if I want to redeem a flight and it's, my account is blocked, because that they could just give me like a like a hundred thousand my ba if you're listening to me give, can you mistakenly <laughs> mistakenly add a hundred k to my <laughs> to my yeah. avias account or, well, speak, or speaking of people that people that are listening um if you, if this is your area of expertise if you're info you know into infosec or or security of any type we'll post some links to articles about this it would be really interesting to hear from you guys about what you think happened here and if people should yes. be worried by this type of thing, obviously this is certainly not my area of expertise. But I, both Paul and I are, uh, what do they call themselves nowadays? Executive Club or Avios or whatever British Airways Frequent Flyer Program is called, and we have you know credit card information stored on there. So it would be interesting to hear from you if you are if this is your thing as to you know the, yeah. should we be worried about this type of yeah. thing in the future. Yeah, because there's two levels of security. Like you said, there's a level of security we, we don't have any control. Is like, is the system secure? And on the consumer side, I would say that there's also, of course, the password you put then. In some airlines, I'm not going to name them here, they just they don't even give you a choice of the password. I mean, there's one airline in particular I'm thinking about. I'm just going to say it because I don't want to be da- bashing airlines. They give you a four-letter password. Uh, password and you cannot even change it for it's, it's that's the one forever mm-hmm. i don't find that very secure because you know if anyone acts if anyone accesses their database of given password they have the password of everyone and they so basically the airline knows my password which is not supposed to do you're supposed to have your password hashed i mean you know i mean i, I anyway it's, it should be a wake-up call and i we really appreciate having someone maybe with more expertise than us telling us a bit more about that indeed uh still talking about miles um i don't know if you've seen that uh, rocket miles has been um has been uh, purchased, uh, bought by uh, Priceline. So if you don't know where Rocket Miles is, uh, I was a member. So basically, Rocket Miles is pretty interesting. Is when you book, to put it simply, when you book a hotel, you book a hotel through Rocket Miles, and you can add miles to your frequent flyer card. Uh, you can sometimes you can do that when you, of course, when you book, when you're checking in the hotel, you can give uh, a frequent flyer card, and they will add points. Most of the hotels usually have their own system. So you know the, the famous ones, uh, Hilton Honors and the Sher- Sheraton, whatever the name is, I don't, I don't remember. But this, it was very interesting because you could gain sometimes, you know, 5,000 miles on a single booking uh, in a hotel. So they had like a large uh, number of hotels in the world. And as well, as more than, I think it was around 20 airline, uh, airlines, including United, Singapore, JetBlue, BA, Etihad, Norwegian, Virgin America. So it was. It's a pretty interesting uh, way of doing things, especially for business travelers, because then you can accrue miles faster and then get you know do whatever with you you want with your miles. But you, it, it's a pretty interesting proposition, and I think a, a Priceline was right to buy them. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting it, to see what Priceline do with them. But it was a great idea, and I think it raised eight and a half million dollars in funding to date from some pretty heavy hitters in the in the VC world. And I, the rumored acquisition price was twenty million bucks, which. Yep. Sounds like a bargain, frankly. I mean, the eight point yeah. five million would, I reckon, doing some back of the napkin math, would have put the valuation a little bit higher. But good for them. Congratulations! It's lovely to see a travel startup uh, being acquired. Get, uh, yeah, getting a, but, you know, the founders getting an exit. 
And I, and I think it also represents the war we have in Expedia versus, uh, you know, Orbitz and um, uh, all the, the big ones. And I imagine if Priceline is able, because now, you know, what do you do when you book a hotel? Where do you go? It's the same thing we were having these conversations with, uh, with uh, airlines. But imagine if Priceline allows you to say, for someone like you and me, if you want to book a hotel through us, you'll get miles on your on your um, on your frequent uh, flyer system. Honestly, that would be a very good reason for me to go to Priceline to book a hotel yeah. instead of going to Booking.com or any other system. So it's interesting. Yeah, we'll absolutely. And I think that it stacks up as a business case too, because the type of person that's going to say that is is a person that travels frequently and will exactly from booking. So a very smart acquisition by Priceline, and congratulations to the Rocket Mouse guys. Yes, congrats. Uh, still uh, talking about miles. Uh, we're not like, you know, there's so many websites talking about what you can do with our miles and hacking your miles. Maybe one day we'll do a show about we that. We should do that. We should get some experts It's interesting. On. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then, uh, another website that I've stumbled upon is called Bitcoin for Miles. Uh, so Bitcoin is that currency that, uh, you know, virtual currency to of lack of a better word, but you must have heard about it because everybody talks about Bitcoin. And so this basically is a website where you can turn your, and I'm going to read their, their tagline, turn your unwanted mile, miles and rewards points into Bitcoin. Our transactions are fast, discreet, and now even more private. And uh, you can basically do whatever with the Bitcoins. So you don't have to, so, you know, you may, maybe you have, uh, like I just said for BA, I'm sorry, BA, listen to me. If one day you do status matching, I promise I will come back to you. But for the moment, I'm not traveling with you guys because I don't want to like restart everything with a new uh, with a new group. But I have like ten thousand or twelve thousand avios or whatever they're called, which is nothing basically. So it, and they will expire at some point. So the point here would be, for instance, uh, I could go there and sell my twelve thousand and get bitcoins in exchange. I don't know if I would do that. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> no. I think the the ship has sailed on uh on Bitcoin. I mean in terms but, of in terms of getting value from it. The the, the the interesting question though, and and I don't have the exact answer, is that is it legal to actually sell your freaking flyer flyer miles? What I think do you it's think? A gray area. I yeah, think it depends right, on right. the airline and the country and all of that stuff. Although I did hear a funny Bitcoin story the other day that I think is probably an urban legend, but there was a guy that like four or five years ago spent four Bitcoin or something or 40,000 or some number doesn't really matter to buy a pizza. And today those would be worth like $5.6 million (laughs) (laughs) or 200 billion frequent flyer points. Exactly. That was exactly what I was about to say. God damn it. I would have been like, like the, this card that is only given to 10 people in the planet or something, right? (laughs) You could probably go on Virgin Galactic for that. There's uh there's one airline actually that accepts Bitcoin. It's uh called Air Baltic. It's from Latvia. So mm. you can pay your 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 flight in, in Bitcoin. I mean I I have a few Bitcoins just because I want to understand how it worked, but I've never actually done anything with them. And and no, they're not worth two billion. I wish they were, <laughs> but I was way too late in the game to make that. Uh back to the US. Uh you flew because you're in Phoenix today, uh, and you flew from um, San Francisco, was it, right, to Phoenix? San Jose, Sa- yeah, San Jose, San Jose. Uh, airport. With so, yeah. Southwest stuff. It was so how was that experience? Yeah, it was a very interesting experience. Because I live, I've lived in the UK for seven and a half years this time, I haven't flown dom- much domestically in the US, and I certainly haven't flown on Southwest in a, in a very long time. I usually gravitate uh, towards my beloved Virgin America, but they don't fly to Phoenix. And so looking around, you know, Southwest had a competitive fare, so I bought them, bought the ticket. The 
first of all, San Jose Airport and the TSA. Wow, what a horrible process that was. <laughs> like six o'clock in the morning. That was the last thing I wanted to do. But oh, well, it is what it is. Southwest boarding experience for someone who's never been through it is disturbing. You get kind of penned into these but groups of people. You're all given a number for boarding because there's no assigned seating. And uh, it's very dehumanizing. But it, you know, the rest of the experience boarding was very positive and kudos to them for that. But my, the point of the story is I'd never assumed in any way that, that Southwest would have any type of IFE in-flight entertainment system or Wi-Fi or whatever. But the night before my flight, I got an email saying, hey, guess what? You're on a plane with Wi-Fi and live streaming TV. And I was like, okay, weird. But it said, bring your own, make sure you bring your own device and you bring your own headphones. So getting on board, there's a, as soon as you sit down, there's a Wi-Fi, net, open Wi-Fi network. And it has, uh, you, you log in and you get, come to this portal and it has streaming live TV, which is cool in of itself, in browser or, or uh, on a smartphone, on a, on a desktop. And it works brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. Fast, multiple networks, turns on in a heartbeat. They have a great flight following thing, which I'd never seen before on a streaming service. So you had like moving map on your on your desktop in your browser with the the various kind of data points, speed, altitude, time to all that stuff. You could pay for Wi-Fi and, and, and get all that. They had a, the full Beats music library. They had games. And this is all through your own laptop or uh, iPad or phone Tablet, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And everything, everything that I just mentioned except the Wi-Fi was free. Wow. Uh, the TV was free. Oh. The music was free. The movies you had to pay for, but that's fine. It was a very impressive experience. And what I, th- what I took away from it was that's cool, but also how much the barrier to entry has lowered to get that type of experience. And I know we've talked about the how difficult it is for European carriers to do this because you're crossing so many international jurisdictions. But... I would love to see some of the European carriers, EasyJet and Ryanair, for example, embrace this type of thing because it was extremely impressive. It, uh, wow, it must have been. Honestly, I've never... The last time I, I took Wi-Fi in the US domestic flight was like three years ago. So it's like another era of flying or something because you sent me actually... The reason we talked about that today, while you were flying yesterday, you sent me a screenshot of that map and I was like, what is that? How do you get this? Is that in front of you on the on the on the seat? This is no. This is on my tablet. Was an iPad. I don't remember which one you had. It was like wow. It, it looks really impressive. And I didn't they did realize a it was good free. Job. Actually, wow. yeah, they did a really good job. And the, I think what's cool. I mean, in-flight Wi-Fi is not a new thing. Virgin America had no, it from, from day not. one, and that was seven or eight years ago. But I just think the experience was well done. And I also think that it shows how, again, like I said, how quickly and easily this can be implemented across one of the biggest fleets in the world. Nice. Well, it, really, I mean, this is something we I remember we, we talked about it. It was our second episode. I think it was the future of, in, of IFE. That was our main topic. We'll revisit it sometime, obviously, because it's something that keeps changing. But uh, I really want to try that. So I, I'll, be in the, I'll be in the U.S. Uh, probably next month. I and mean, if I do a domestic flight, I will... I'll, Maybe we'll try to get on, on Southwest. Talking about Southwest, the co- you know the, the coffee they serve is called Lyft. I haven't yes. tried. Did you try? The, did you try the coffee when you were? I on did. The flight? It wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't. Yeah, and uh, the reason I say that is because uh, Cafe is doing research into coffee, and I'm like, what? 
Yeah, Kath. So, I mean, airline coffee is notoriously bad. It's been the butt of jokes for decades. But Cathay are doing this project to try and figure out how you uh, how the how you brew coffee at altitude and how being at altitude changes uh, the way it tastes, the way it's brewed, um, how you alter the process, um, and also with it with cabin pressure and cabin humidity. And they've partnered with with Illy, the Italian coffee company, to do this, which I think is cool. And I'm flying on Cathay next month, so I hopefully I'll be able to to report back on on this. But I have I have friends, and this is not an exaggeration, who are such coffee aficionados slash snobs that snobs. they take <laughs> battery operated coffee grinders and their AeroPress coffee maker on a plane and grind <laughs> their own beans and brew their own coffee. And they have like the, you know, the Thermapen um, <laughs> meat thermometers to, t- to make sure that the water is at the right temperature. <laughs> and they're telling me this and I'm laughing and they're 100% serious. I'm like, okay, that's, I like coffee, but not that much. <laughs> it's true, but it's interesting that C- CX does that. Uh, uh, I think Virgin America, it's Phil's coffee. Is it still the Phil's coffee? I think it's so. Not I, 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 no, it's not too bad. It's not too bad, actually. Uh, I mean, I, again, honestly, when you're flying, it's true that coffee usually is very dire, the kind of coffee uh, you, you get. But it's also sometimes because, you, you know, basically you're flying. And I'm not sure without – I'm sure that the, the, the research has been done by Cathay might actually lead to newer ways to do coffee, to brew your coffee uh, on, during, a, a, during flight. But at, at the same time, even our – you've probably seen that. Even like food tastes different when you're, when you're flying. So maybe yeah. the coffee – at the end of the day, is maybe uh, uh, the way we taste stuff that is made different. Maybe the coffee is not that bad, although some airlines have made it bad. Uh, Delta and um, – uh, Delta and, uh, is doing Starbucks now, so at least you know what you get. It's yeah. uh, it's basic coffee, but it, it it works well. The the ones if I don't know if you've ever flown um, Emirates or Qatar. I'm not sure about Etihad because it's been a little while I haven't flown them. But they they, they offer you Arabic coffee. Yeah, Oman Airways do very, the same thing. Yeah, it's very 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 good. I actually really yeah. enjoy that. You know, it's not something I, I would too. drink every it's day. Lovely. It's lovely. Really yeah, Oman Air when you board in in their premium cabins, you get a little thing of delicious Arabic coffee and some dates, and it's so, uh, it's great. What you should what you should tell your friends though is because you just remembered me uh, remind me of that story. So if they like to brew their own coffees, it's not as 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 fancy as that. But if you fly A and A, the Japanese career. Uh, they have uh, they offer Starbucks coffee as well, but they don't just give you coffee. What they give, they give you a personal drip uh, that you put on no top of way. a cup, and you can yeah, and you can actually do your own coffee directly in the, <laughs> in the wow. plane. So that I know it's not as fancy as an AeroPress, but it's still a, maybe something a bit more fancier than just getting a, a dark cup of coffee. You know where it came from. So very well, nice. Anyway. Very nice. Uh, back to Europe, SAS. Uh, I don't know. That's I don't know if it's gimmicky or not. But SAS is partnered with Google, and basically now you can actually, you know, what is Google Street View? So if you go on Google Maps, you can go and see exactly what you would see at a certain point on the street. They've started including some buildings as well, so you can see the interior of some buildings. There are some coffee places, for instance, if we were talking about coffee before, and now you can actually see the new interior of the ACS aircraft. <laughs> what do you think about that? That's a nice idea. A lot of people are, as you say, a lot of people are doing this to to promote whatever you know retail avenue they have. It's a nice idea. Why not? It's uh, And it's quite well done, too. 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, uh, to to make to put it briefly, you know what? When we, we go to a website and you have to say, "Oh, what's the leg room? What is exactly?" You know, you go on Seat Guru and you try to understand what kind of aircraft you'll get. Well, at least if you have Google Street View, very quickly you say, "Okay, that's what I'm going to get." And and mm-hmm. for that, actually, I would I would enjoy having that on all my flights. Uh, app of the week uh, related a bit to whom we had last week uh, because Eve mentioned it last week, and I'm sure you're a big fan of it. Live ATC. Live ATC. What is Live ATC? So LiveATC.net has, is a site and iPhone and Android app that has been around for a very long time. And frankly, the website design has not changed in that time. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because the service that it provides is wonderful. And it's 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 a thousand streams of, a, of nearly 800 airports around the world of live uh, air traffic control and almost without exception, it's both sides of the conversation. Usually when you have an airband radio, you only hear the airplanes because you're at the same elevation as the air traffic control and you're too far away. So you don't, you rarely hear both sides of the conversation, but in this instance you do. And it's, it's powered by um, the, the community. It's, it's kind of crowdsourced uh, and it's fascinating. It's addictive. I've been listening to it for, for, for a decade now. And it's really, really cool. And not only do they have just the tower, but many instances they have, they have ground, they have departure, they have approach, they have a lot of the things that Dan was talking about last week, like the the NorCal approach and things like that. The only frustrating bit about it is that in places like the UK and <laughs> Germany, exactly. it is yep, and yep. Italy and New Zealand, it is illegal. Yeah, not what they're doing, not what Live ATC done. It is, it is illegal. To you, for you to even listen to them because you are not the intended recipient of the broadcast. And apparently the UK law, and this is from the live ATC uh, FAQ, uh, it is illegal to provide air traffic control feeds from the UK due to an outdated law that originated back in 1942. Wow. So it wow. is, oh, it's actually God. illegal to own an airband radio in the UK. I don't think that stops a whole bunch of people, but, <laughs> yeah. but it is frustrating because you know, Heathrow and Gatwick are interesting airports to listen to, but don't let that deter you. This is a phenomenal service. It's so interesting just to understand and add a little bit of texture and context to the stuff that Dan was talking about last week. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, there's uh, The coverage is actually pretty good. Uh, North America is pretty well covered. South America, a lot of places are covered as well, not all the countries. Like you said, Europe, most of it, but not the UK or Germany. Uh, Africa, I think there's not a single airport, which is a bit sad. I would love to have had that. I was trying that yesterday, and I was trying to find new airports I've never heard about. The Middle East, nothing much as well. Though, all three Pakistani airports you can listen to, which is really cool, because the rest around it is impossible to listen to. But for some reason, Pakistan seems to be more open about it. I mean, that's also the nice thing, is going to airports where are completely remote from you and trying to understand how they cope with airplanes or aircraft. You can listen to Japan. You can listen to... Philippines, you have, uh, it's even if you don't understand uh, what it is, because some people are really you know aficionados and they will go there and listen to that, like have that like a background noise in their in their room. I'm sure you're one of those, Alex. But uh, <laughs> but even if you don't understand, I think it's 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 fun to just go randomly choose an airport or choose the one who's next to you and try to understand it. It's pretty fun to see how it actually operation the behind a little bit of the behind the scenes. That we tried yeah. to unveil a bit last week. It's it's really really cool, uh, and it's, it's a very, and they they archive every single recording, so you can go back in time and listen to 
any date at any time at any any of the airports that they have and and you know if you want to hear your flight landing you know as you as you came in yesterday you can and they also have a, li- a list of uh of in- what they call interesting recordings so for example yesterday was the last time that the US Airways cactus call oh, sign yeah, was used cactus. Oh. which is sad now it's american it's sad. but they have the recording and the link to that flight landing in philadelphia and then you know other 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 things like Air Force One landing or or flights calling in passenger disturbances and things like that. So uh, it's it's a very very cool website. Yes, it is, and it's run a lot of it is run by volunteers actually. Um, yeah, which so makes it really cool. It's a nice it's a nice service, and again, it's been around for a for as long ages. as I can remember. Yeah, exactly. So guys, uh, liveatc.net is it right? Liveatc.net. Uh, yep. Um, and uh, we'll put the links. Twitter. We'll put the links, and uh, you'll you'll see. Uh, you have sometimes also in different countries, you have the similar experience uh, on a country level. So, for instance, I'm in Switzerland. There's something called SwissATC.net as well, and you'll have uh, this uh, coverage of Swiss, uh, airports in Switzerland with an explanation of the terms of the usual airlines that are flying here, the usual aircraft. So, if you look it up on Google, you might find uh, on your country as well more explanation for your country. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say before we move on to the topic yep. of the week, something I just remembered that uh, I was thinking about on my, uh, the Southwest flight. I was we flew over Edwards Air Force Base, which is really really interesting in and of itself because you've got Edwards Air Force Base, and then a few miles down the road you've got the Mojave Airport, which is where Spaceship One, Virgin Galactic are based, as well as one of the bigger uh, airplane graveyards. And I wanted to take a picture, and. I did, and it was a crappy picture, as almost <laughs> all of my pictures from air from out of an airplane window are. They're always like washed out, or or just they look like garbage. So, I messaged a good friend of mine, Dan Rubin, who was one of the earliest Instagram users. He is an expert, and I don't use that word lightly. He yeah, really is an expert on smartphone photography. He gives Absol- classes absolutely. at Apple stores. He's and he's a, he's a really lovely guy too. And I messaged him. I said, "What?" how do I do this? And he came back with two tips, which I want to share with you guys. Um, he said that underexposure or underexpose when possible. And then iOS 8, if you're on an Apple device, it's easier because you can you can choose the point on the frame where you want to over or underexpose. And, you, and secondly, you can adjust the exposure uh, in kind of post-production and Snapseed apparently is the, the tool to do that. But he said the reason for this is that the double or more layers of, of window material that they put on a on the outside of an airplane will filter a lot of the light before it gets to the lens. Plus all the crap that's on the inside and outside of the window just makes it really, really difficult. But we're we're hoping to get Dan on as a guest so he we can talk yeah. about this and a lot of other subjects. But two really good points for taking pictures out of uh, airplane windows. So thank you, Dan Rubin. And he's at Dan Rubin, R-U-B-I-N on Twitter. I actually never thought about this underexposure. I take I take a lot of pictures from my phone when I'm flying, and I never thought about that one. I will clearly try it. And yeah, we will have him in one episode because I'm sure he will offer a lot of tips for both plane sp- spotters, but also just a random people like us who just you know see something cool out of the other window, really want to take the picture off. So yeah, thank you Dan for these tips. Thank you Alex for telling me about this underexposure. I would have not thought about it. Wow. Uh, Moving on to the topic of the week. The topic of the week is a bit uh, 
something that we actually do every single week. Uh, when we talk about innovation news, the passenger experience, air tech, all this stuff, it's basically even even basically our podcast is about is about talking what is how do we define the modern air travel experience and what is the current customer experience and there was an article that reminded me of that when when I was the other day I think it was in Forbes or something uh, when uh, somebody I don't, I don't remember the name of the author I'll find it for you but uh, he wrote about how Air New Zealand was pushing to trying to be a, a better airline. They were trying to push for new libraries, for new onboarding experience. And then he mentioned how broken that experience had been for him because all this is very nice. But then when he tried to get into customer care, uh, talking to customer care because he had a problem with his ticket, everything like became a, an absolute disaster. And that reminded me a story that I, I had, and maybe you, I'm sure Alex, you have had these type of stories as well. I was flying with Turkish, and Turkish is, is this legacy carrier, and now tries to be a little bit like these Gulf carriers. So they're pushing the envelope in marketing, they're pushing the envelope of the internet design, they're pushing a lot of stuff to actually make a much better airline. And I, I was I was flying to Istanbul, and I had to change my plane ticket. And I remember they have this global number you have to call, and I call them, and they say I, say, I need to change my ticket, and they and I changed it. They changed it. I said, how do I pay? He said, no, you cannot pay. You have to go to an agent, and like how why can i not pay online or can i not just pay on the phone they give you my credit card number so they give me a, a number that is a local number in istanbul which actually turned out to be like a local agency which most of the people didn't even talk english and they anyway long story short all this i ended up being going by car to Heathrow to just pay for my changed flight uh and this is where Similar, exactly similar story. And what I was trying to, to 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 surface here is that the customer experience. Most people stop at, oh, do I have enough legroom? Is the logo nice and the livery? And uh, they have a cool CEO that actually is O'Leary and, and says that everybody sucks. Or is a Richard Branson is so cool when he kite surfs? But actually, it's much much more than that. And you have had some experience in that, Alex. I don't want you to tell us all about it, but don't you agree that? Customer experience, passenger experience, because that's the term most people use in the industry, PAXX. The, PAX, the passenger experience is something that goes way beyond what we actually see yeah, as, as passengers. Ha it has to. And I think that that doesn't just go for airlines. It goes for everything. Oh, everything, of course. Yes. But you're right. I think you have to get you get the physical product right because that's, that's what ultimately the passenger is, is purchasing. But... The, the passenger or the customer in anything will judge us by the weakest point in that flow, not not right. by what we think is the best. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that we focused on when we were building Virgin America. And I know I always harp on about Virgin America, but it's 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 context for me because I, I, I was involved in it. But we focused on individual components of the experience and not the experience as a whole so that everything was optimized on an individual level and not – trying to force people into predefined customer journeys because mm -hmm. yeah. humans don't aren't predictable. They don't always fall into that. And again, if you invest heavily in the physical product of the inside of the airplane, but and at the detriment and neglect of the other parts of the experience, 
you can have the world's best airplane, but if your check-in process, your boarding yeah, exactly. process, your your staff are rude, they're all bad. It doesn't matter how good the entire the inside yeah, of you, the airplane you, you, is. You are, you, are, you are by the time you arrive in the airplane, you're already pissed off. You yes. already had a very, such a bad experience that by the time even the airplane is fantastically beautiful, you're like, I don't care. I just had two hours of a nightmare before getting here. Yeah, that, absolutely. And then your 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 tolerance level for poor performance or poor product when you're sitting on that airplane is greatly Lowers, reduced. Yeah. So even a small yes. thing is just going to piss you off even more. So yeah, you're right. I think, and again, you know, th there's the whole service recovery thing, which my father has taught me so much about in, in his airline experiences. You, you, so often you will be judged not by the problem itself, but how you recover from it and how you fix it. And it sounds yes. like, you know, in your instance, it was like, oh, this isn't my problem. I'm going to pass you on to somebody else, as opposed to someone taking ownership of that problem and and kind of sherpaing you through to a resolution, even if they weren't actually able to implement that solution themselves. But that's like, that's that's customer service 101. Customer but service. Yeah, of course. No, I agree. And, and it's issue with a lot of legacy carriers that they might not have the right systems and the right processes, the right work, workflows. They also have, you know, the people have to adapt to a new environment that they are not. Again, all... I know I realize that all these is easy to say, but at the end of the day, this is what you experience. This is why I also believe a lot of people are bashing airlines uh, online and, you know, airlines have a bad rep. It's because, like you just mentioned, when you have, when your th threshold is so so low because you had, a, for instance, a, a bad TSA experience, you arrive at the, air, the aircraft, the aircraft might be delayed. At that point, you know what, you go on Twitter and you, and you lash out. You shouldn't do it. I try never to do it, by the way, but it's just human, you know, and... Yeah. This is where the pain points, and then you know, uh, you did a great job as a Virgin America. A lot of airlines are trying to do that. It's uh, you know, it's a planning when you arrive at the airport, security, and most of it, by the way, is not even owned by the airline. They cannot control no. it, you know. But they still have to find ways to either know that there's a pain point that they cannot control, like TSA. They have no actual oversight on TSA. But by knowing that, you know, you make the pre-TSA and the post-TSA so much better to kind of yes. soothe that pain point because you know Absolutely that's a risk. Right. Southwest did did a good job of that yesterday, and again, I'm coming to Southwest with Southwest with fresh eyes. I'd really never experienced their product or their experience before, but yeah, I was I was angry when I came through the TSA thing. Well, it was fine. It was just it took forever. No one was friendly, and I you know I'm, I know I'm kind of flogging a dead horse here, but I got out of it having waited in line for 40 minutes or whatever it was. I was just just annoyed, and again, it was like 6:15 in the morning. But then when I got to the Southwest, Southwest thing, it was positive. They were, it was very like funny, but without being irritating, human without being kind of get out of my face. It's too early for this. And I'm dangerously under caffeinated. They, <laughs> it would just felt like, oh, you know, this is, this, this is what it was supposed to be like, right? This is fine. And, but and, that, and, and, and as humans, we're so, I mean, honestly, sometimes you can have a horrendous experience. And if someone just comes to you and say, we're sorry, honestly, that's just, Everything goes away. I mean, yeah. I'm still maybe having a not great experience, but more often than not, if someone comes to me and you do not like doesn't care, but truly and just says, I'm sorry, I'm like, well, you know, we all have our shitty days and whatever, but you need a kind of interaction at some point, someone coming and take, like you said, taking ownership. Yeah. Uh, it's, and uh, acknowledging it's often what that happens. the problem is a problem and not an irritation. 
Yes, absolutely. And but by the way, so it's also after the flight. Sometimes you know it's not because you just landed. It's like what happens, or you know the 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 the, the, the luggage you might have put in hold is not coming, and you know I had to wait like two weeks, uh, four weeks ago. I had to wait for fifty five minutes at Heathrow from the luggage to come to the belt, and it, you had ex- it was exactly that ownership. I was asking, and I was not even angry at the beginning. I was just like anyway, I have time, and I was starting to ask people around that were staff, and like you know what's happened? Do you have any ETA or something? And nobody actually had an answer. That when it gets you frustrated, it's like yeah. just tell me something. Well, and I you think know, it, plus you, you this, this this whole point, this whole discussion comes back to the to the to the single most important factor: people. You can make, you can invest in a product and it can be to your exact specifications. But if your people don't believe in the fundamental vision and values of the organization, or in this case, an airline, it doesn't matter how good the physical product is because people, especially in the airline industry, those frontline staff are just as important, if not more important important, the quality of the physical product. And so the airlines and the companies that invest in the people side of this are the ones that are winning. And I think, you know, they're empowering, they're not only getting them emotionally invested in the organization uh, empowering mission, them. they're so empowering yeah, you, them to make decisions take on ownership. the flight. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Take ownership. And, yeah, absolutely. And this guy, um, the, the chap that wrote this really, really good Forbes article, I think it's Ben Keeps, I think is, is how it's pronounced. He, he closes it by making a recommendation saying you've got to arm your frontline staff with CRM and not just give them the data, but give them the authority and confidence to make decisions on the fly. So they don't get like you were passed around and around. And again, sorry, another Virgin America reference, all of the, all of the employees went through a kind of a brand initiation. So you had that. And one, one day we'll get the person who was responsible for that, because I still talk about it to this day when I when I do um, kind of brand um, conversations. A guy called Spence Kramer, who was the VP of marketing at at uh, ESPN, then over at Virgin mm-hmm. America, then he went to to be the global account director for Nike and Coke. I mean, he's he's easily the best brand marketer I, I have ever met or will ever meet. But it was his kind of brainchild to do this this employee brand initiation, and it, and it pays huge dividends when you have a people-centric product like an airline. Yes, uh, no, I absolutely agree. I was about to say that in terms of uh, recruitment was for me the one with the most single important point in any type of customer service, by the way. When you have someone that's, even if the person, you realize he or she cannot take ownership, but she tries or he tries, you are in a state of forgiveness. You're like, okay, well, anyway, uh, it's uh, it's, fa- it's fascinating. We can t- but basically... We could talk for hours, obviously, about that, but this is what we do because I, the reason I put this topic of the week is that I had a few people asking me, what exactly do you talk about on your podcast? It's all the news and everything we talk is really what all these pain points and this innovation is to try to, in the realization, how do we make travel better, airline, airline travel better, or at least less horrendous for some, maybe. And these are, part, these are exactly part of it. There's that whole... Customer journey is a fancy word for just saying that, you know, you, you go to the airport and you have to have this uh, a nice experience all over the place. And if you can't, airline have to be um, have to be aware of it. Uh, an interesting story related to that. I was uh, I was chairing a, a conference called uh, Leaders, uh, Marketing Leaders in Telecoms or uh, a few, uh, two weeks ago. And there was the, uh, uh, I'm going to find his title, Chief Corporate Marketing Officer from Turkcell. So Turkcell is the largest uh, mobile operator career in Turkey. They own more than half of the market. 
And he was telling us about a story that they made an agreement, uh, uh, an agreement with uh, uh, um, an airline, I think it's low cost, an Adolu jet, where uh, they would actually, in terms of the research and the customer experience we're talking about, is okay, we, how do we know that, that flow of customers? Where do they come from and where do they actually go? So when you take an airport, so, um, Yesterday, you took an, uh, an aircraft from San, from San Jose, sorry, to to Phoenix. But actually, maybe you were not going. You're not living in San Jose. You're not your end destination might not be Phoenix, whereas actually you're very close this time. But what they did is they used. They were tracking the cell signals anonymized of people, a flow of people taking the airline and trying to understand their behavior, not only the behavior in the airport, but the behavior, okay, where do they actually stop? And the airline was able to create new routes because they realized that, oh, actually, most of the people that go to this point B never actually stop at point B. They all go to point C, but since we never actually offered point C as a destination, they would just take a bus or rent a car. And when ah. they started offering route C, suddenly so became extremely successful. So Very clever. It's very clever. And, and what I mean here is that in terms of research and understanding customers, users, people, it, they are also technology. Both Alex and I believe that you have to put people first. But in the technology is something that should help you understand those people and make their lives better and not the other way around. You just throw technology at any problem you have and say, oh, look, we have a new app that will actually <laughs> solve this. So it was an interesting – I'll try to find some documentation. I, I, I talked to him. It's called Yigit Kulabas, and I talked to him after the, the event. Uh, I, I've not been able to find any uh, documentation in English about it, but if I find, I will, I will try to put a link to the show notes or maybe talk about it in another episode because I think it's – they do very interesting stuff in terms of understanding the customer um, the customer journey. That would be great. I want to finish by I don't know if you've seen that because it was just it was released barely before the show uh, that we're recording today. Skyscanner uh, released a formula for a perfect flight. So since we're talking about customer journey, <laughs> so they asked two thousand passengers. What is important to flight? What are the main factors and what is what makes the experience of flying good? And uh, uh, some, a mathematician came up with a formula that actually, you know, you can rank a flight. It, it's, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it's T plus L minus 30. That's parenthesis. And then it's P divided by 100 and that equals a number. I, I'll just put the link and you'll see. But basically it means that the time of the day, T is time of the day, uh, most people actually, uh, apparently more than almost 50% of the people, one of the major decisions is when do I fly? Is is it the morning, the afternoon, the, the evening? That actually matters a lot. Then it's the leg room, L. Uh, then it's the punctuality. Is the airline actually on time or not? Does it arrive on time or not? And that gives a flight score that does, then tells you if it's a good flight experience or not. The only thing I'm missing here, and you realize that, is cost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Small detail. <laughs> Small detail, right? Anyway, I'll, I'll put the link. There's an infographic. It's pretty well done. I know it's just, uh, it's fun to see. I'm not sure that uh, if, even if uh, all the, the score, because score, score rates from zero to 20, uh, at uh, 15, you have the highest score that you can get in economy. Of course, I guess 20 must be business first. Uh, I'm not sure that even if you offer me a 15 in economy, and but you triple the price, I'm going to take it. That's the thing. At the end of the day, we're price sensitive. Uh, moving to a question of the week. Do you want to ask it, Alex? Yeah. So we, I'm always, 
we always end up having conversations about, you know, sites that we get our news from or visit or anything like that. But I thought, what, what are your top three aviation or airline related sites? And I'll tell you my methodology for how I got mine, and I'm interested to hear how you, how <laughs> well, you, you also have a, You also have a formula then. Okay, go ahead. Well, <laughs> formula. I was like, because when I thought of this, I was like, what are your 30 best, you know, airline? Because like, you know, I, there's so many that I visit. Um, but I went back and looked at my browser history and, and like, what are the ones that I, I go back to almost sort of subconsciously? And that's how I kind of arrived at, at the ones that I thought I wanted to mention in, uh, in this segment. So, which are those? We might not so have the air- same, actually. I, I'd be interested to see if we have any overlaps. So, mine are airliners.net. Ah, obviously, is, me too. Which is the, started as a photo sharing site. You're, it's like the granddaddy of, of airline message boards. It's a pay-to-play site, believe it or not. You actually have to sign up and pay to be able to post. And yet, it, there are hundreds of thousands of people that do. They have taken so many whacks at the user experience. It's full of adware. It is unbelievably irritating to use. And yet we all go back <laughs> multiple times a day. It's not even re- mobile. What drives you nuts is that not even mobile friendly. I know. It's it's like, it's, it's, but we all go back there. It's a, it's a great site. It's full of arguments and debate and mudslinging, but it's a damn good, damn good read. And yeah, a, yes, lot of, a lot of good yes. analysis can, can, can crop up. Yeah, um, a great, great community as well. You hear, you listen, you you learn a lot by 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 going there and asking. People are willing to share and explain and you know debate, obviously, because sometimes you can get very acronymous. But it's actually fascinating. It's also I would also put it in my my three top websites. So yeah, and I'm sure also, any airline, any any air geek that you ask will tell you that airliners are in there, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think they one of the they have a like a, a set of of different forms, and one of my favorites is the trip reports, where people write really detailed. Um, photo essays on trips they've taken and some of them are painfully uninteresting but others are really really interesting they're a, they're on a, a an old kind of iran air 707 or something bizarre like that or a new premium cabin which is fascinating because you know in many cases it's things that 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 normal folks like us are never going to get a chance to experience number number two which is FlightAware. Flightaware.com. <laughs> Again, it's like, you know, we've talked about Plane Finder and some of the other uh, live tracking ones, but Flightaware to me, I think is is the best web-based one. I think it's got great coverage. It's got great data. It's it's fun to play with and just see what's going. Like I, my in-laws in California live very close to a, to a regional airport. Um, and it's really kind of interesting to see as a plane flies over, what was that? And then and look at some of the other patterns. They've done a good job of keeping up with responsive design and their coverage is, is, is very, very solid. You can overlay um, aviation section, sectionals on the map as well. It's just a fun site to play around with, flightaware.com. Number um, three? Number three is, is a- airfleets.net. <laughs> That's so you. <laughs> uh, I know. So we talked about, I think, in one of the very first episodes, how do you tell how old an airplane is that you're flying on? And airfleets.net is by far the best way to tell. So you can search by a, a, a construction number, serial number, by a tail number, by airline, by type, and you can see uh, how old the airplane is, when it was manufactured, when its first flight was. And interestingly, I find this bit really, really cool where it has 
has been like which airlines have owned it. Yeah, and some of these sort it of used to 20, be long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like on on, on journeyman airplanes like seven thirty sevens and seven forty sevens, you know, who have an active lifespan of like thirty plus years, though I mean they are extraordinary to follow around and see where they've been and. You know, they're parked in the desert for a while, then brought out and flew six months, you know, in North Africa and then went back to fly between Phoenix and Chicago. You know, it's really interesting. <laughs> Again, it's not a it's not a beautiful sight by any stretch of the imagination, but it more than makes up with it with the exhaustive amount of data that it has uh, available. Wow, it's amazing. I would have, I mean, it's not surprising coming from you, honestly. I mean, I share airliner. I didn't, I mean, I looked at my browser history also. To be honest, it's very heavily influenced by my, I get my airline news. I use RSS. I mean, maybe some of you listening to us still know what RSS is. Basically, <laughs> uh, I syndicate, I get a lot of feeds from, uh, from websites. And this is how I, I get a lot of the news and I don't have the time to read everything. So I try to make sense about with the ones. It's true, airliner stays always on top also because they have a very good newsletter it's too long so if anyone from airliners is listening your newsletter is fascinating but it's way too long every day i get like a thousand links i mean who has time to actually <laughs> wow. browse into all this I mean, it's just like way too long but it's it's you have it surfaces you know what it's been talked talked about so then i use tools to actually there's a few tools or rss one called fever when you can actually merge a lot of feeds and it tells you which are the stories that are hot. So which are the stories that everybody talks about. So you also know the kind of the pulse of the market. So that's how I find a lot of news for, for this podcast. When Especially a week like this, maybe it's the same for you, Alex. I don't have the time to actually be every day on RSS because I'm traveling and doing all this stuff. So at least with that, I have a pulse and I know maybe a, a, a dozen stories that I need to pay attention to during the week. So... If I have to need, but what I will do instead of using that methodology, I'll take different names from you. Uh, one, if you really like uh, a little bit of innovation and aviation, the airline trends is pretty cool. Yes, and they do very, uh, they very good. good. They really well done, well documented. I really like them. Uh, obviously, I, it's not in my top three in terms of readership, but we both like it. It's a design air. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I still want to mention it because we're talking about. Uh, the passenger experience is very, very good. It's very well done. Uh, we hope to have Johnny as a, as a guest at some point in our in our podcast because he's really doing great stuff over there. Uh, and honestly, the the, the mammoth that I uh, I want to mention it's not airline specific, but if you want to follow what everybody talks about in the travel industry, you have to read Skift. Yeah, there's no way around it. Skift. A lot of the stories are you find that everybody talks about will be on Skift. Uh, they don't. If you just can f follow the tag, the tag airline uh, in this airline industry, I don't remember which one they use, but they have a lot of information. So they're not as fancy as you. There's a few others. If you like the geeky stuff, I'm sure you do the same. Uh, the same one, Alex, is a flight club uh, on Jalapnik. Yeah, for, that's so. Uh, <laughs> Skift, uh, Skift is wonderful because their analysis is so good. Yes, flight club good. is so good because it's like basically. Guys, check this out. Look how awesome this is. <laughs> That's kind of like the editorial tone. It's so perfect. And I'll finish that. It's the, the, they're not in my top three, but if you just read the usual newspaper, you don't want to read everything about airlines. The two, the one newspaper in the UK that actually has a good coverage of the airline industry is The Guardian. And the one in the US uh, which has a good coverage of the airline industry is the USA Today. These are the two ones where you actually have a dedicated 
part of, or at least on the website, or they talk the airline industry. You won't have everything, but if you just want to know a little bit about the airline industry, these two sites are actually pretty good. Moving on to the airport of the week, so Amsterdam. Have you ever flown to Amsterdam? I'm sure you have. I mean, there's no way you haven't, right? I have. I have a couple of times. It's a great little airport. Not little. It's huge. Massive. Airport. <laughs> little airport. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Great airport. <laughs> it's it's uh yeah it's uh it's a it's a great airport, and I think it's you know it's a it's a huge transit hub now for a lot of uh, pan European traffic, um, which is what's one of the many reasons why there's this huge debate about making Heathrow and Gatwick uh, get another runway because they're losing a lot of that transit traffic to places like Schiphol. Yeah, uh, so the, the name is uh, is actually interesting. Um, it comes from, an old, there's many theories, but it comes from an old fort that used to be there, basically. And uh, that's uh -huh. why it's called, the real name is Amsterdam Schiphol Airport, which uh, in some languages, this name is actually very hard to read. So this is why most people will just tell you that it's called Amsterdam Airport. Uh, so it's a pretty big airport. Actually, it's uh, they, I think it's the fourth busiest in Europe. So that's actually very big. Uh, I think it's around 55 million passengers uh, a year. Uh, what I what I always found very, you just mentioned the size, is that it's a single terminal. So uh, unlike a lot of other airports, especially in the US, when you have very well-defined separated terminals, like a GFK, for instance, you really are in separate buildings. This one has a huge, it's a huge basically plaza. And although you have sections, obviously, it's it directly you have this feel and this sense of being in a massive, massive airport. And besides a tiny part of it, you can walk through in the entire airport. So if you have a long layover, you can basically know the entire airport because everything is accessible. Again, it's a single airport. They will not ask you for security, et cetera. The only part you cannot is a, they, they have a, a small terminal for low cost. If you pass security there, then you cannot come back. But the rest is actually, so it, it, it kind of gives you this, huge, this feeling of being in a very, very big airport. But it's very efficient. That's one thing. But it leads to something else. It leads that, and it's not my favorite thing. It's, 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 it is a kind of airport which has security at the gate. Yeah, so like Changi in Singapore. Yeah, exactly. So you when you even when you transit, you have to go again through security. They don't care if you've actually done security once and you're just in transit. You have to go again. It's, that can be a little bit of a pain sometimes. You're like, especially when, for instance, I would, I would take KLM and live in the UK. So that last flight is what, 45 minutes and I have to redo security just for that. Mm. Although I've cleared it before, that's a bit of a pain to be honest. But uh, the great thing, have you ever been to the rooftop? I have. I, I any airport that has anything like that is automatically rockets to the top of my favorite airport <laughs> list. Outdoor space at airports. Stuttgart Airport has got a wonderful one. But yeah, the Amsterdam one is is phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. If you love plane spotting, I mean, the rooftop is – there's a large viewing area. It's really cool. You have you, – you, and if um, – but that's sadly – that's not airside. That's, that's true, to, which is you know, good if you're not flying. If, you're, if exactly. you're picking somebody up and you get there early, that's good. So if you if you are flying, so if you're on a layover, uh, the name of the show, if you're on a layover and you want to see, what I would uh, tell you, it's one of the spots I've seen is you go near the McDonald's, you'll see the McDonald's. And near the McDonald's, you have a very good view on uh, on the uh, the runways. So it's a pretty cool spot to be there. I'm not saying to go at McDonald's, but you'll see. It's very evident <laughs> if you're there. Very near to the McDonald's, 
It's on the north of the airport, but you'll you have really pretty good views if you like to do some plane spotting at that uh, at that airport. They also have a museum of contemporary art. I think it's, it's temporarily closed though, but I mean I've, I've I've been there. One other thing I really liked about it is that they were I think it was my first experience. Uh, have you ever do you know the the chain name Yotel? Yeah, of course. So they they were one of the first to have a hotel. So it's a very cheap kind of low cost in a way, uh, airside hotel. It's very modern. Very it reminds me. But maybe that's why I love it. It reminds me of these small business hotels you have in Tokyo. So it's yeah, the room I think is that's what it was modeled on. Probably it's it's very efficient. So it's uh, again it's 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 a, it's a room you're gonna probably stay for you know five four hours five hours if you're on a long layover but it's really perfect fast internet very clean very efficient you can it's inside so if you can really want to sleep you don't want any sunlight you can actually have a full dark it's actually pretty cool you also have the hilton if you prefer to have something more fancy but yotel is it they also exist at terminal 40 so it's something that is pretty pretty cool to have in an airport yeah it's a great uh, idea yeah, actually, I throw. I know, I know, it's not the airport, but the T four. I stayed at the hotel. That was my longest layover ever in my life. I stayed at Terminal Four at Heathrow for twelve hours, oh. and I was and I was at the hotel. And it, I, you know how I remember that? It was the day of the royal wedding, uh, Kate, and uh, <laughs> and that's why I didn't wow. want to go. I didn't want to go into the city. I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to stay. I, used, I, I wasn't living in London back then. I'm just going to stay there and watch it on TV. Wise choice. Any anything else you wanted to say about uh, Amsterdam? I, I love Amsterdam Airport because it is so easy to get into the center of Amsterdam. There is a oh, true. there is a great train service that uh, that the station is is right below, literally below the airport uh, uh, arrivals area, and you can you can get a, a ticket for about three euros ninety for a single. It takes you right into uh, Amsterdam Central train station in the heart of Amsterdam, and it uh, it doesn't take very long at all. And they have they they go all the time, six or seven trains an hour, both in both directions. So it's one of those rare airports that's connected and very easy to get to the center of the city that it serves. Yeah, it's true. And if you like KLM, I mean, obviously that's their main hub airport. It seems like almost the entire airport is a KLM branded airport sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a bad way because KLM has been improving. Uh, they've just refurbished their business class. They call that the world world something. I don't remember the name. Uh, they do a pretty cool product. And it's, again, it's a very efficient airport. It's not the most beautiful, but uh, I've, I've been on long layovers there and I always enjoyed my layovers. I was never bored. It's obviously not as fancy as anything in the Middle East or is maybe less activities that Singapore, which we already covered, but it's a very, very nice airport to, to hang out. I'm going to finish with one of the theories of the, the name of the origin of the name of the airport. And I, and I re, and I believe the airport doesn't want it to be known because it's bad. The actual translation from Schiffault in, in English, it's ship grave. Uh, <laughs> so the, the story was apparently, uh, you know, there was a, a lot of ships back in a long time ago were lost in the lake and supposedly the airport is built upon that lake, et cetera, et cetera. But wow. obviously you don't want to think about a basically a, a graveyard when you're building an airport. <laughs> no, you do not. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, on that, Alex, um, uh, we'll I'll see you next week. Uh, you'll still be in the U.S., I guess, next week. Right? Uh, yes, I will still be in the U.S. Uh, I get back to London in about 10 days. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the rest of the warm Phoenix weather for today. 
Oh, very nice. I mean, I'm, to be honest, now I'm not complaining as I used to last week because in Geneva, it's currently 22 degrees, so the spring oh, is nice. coming. So I, actually, yeah, I can be in a t-shirt, so I'm going to have a good time. And I'm going to fly tomorrow back to London, and I'm sure I'm going to find rain. I, on, this, <laughs> on this, guys, thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you next week. Bye, Alex. We'll see you next week. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.